If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Healing is the Children's Bread. Mark it down, there will always be a reason why Christians fail to receive their healing or their healing is delayed. You will find out in this episode that the reasons are not too different as to why people in the world are not getting saved or born again into God's family. To be clear, it's not because God is selectively saving some and denying eternal life to others. Nor is our Heavenly Father choosing to heal some of His children and not others for some esoteric reason. We see clearly in Scripture that God does not show favoritism. Romans 2.11 For God does not show favoritism. The glorious promise for salvation is available to all humanity according to Romans 10.12 For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Likewise, the same glorious promise is available for all of God's people to be healed and made whole in their soul and body. 1 Peter 2.24 Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Setting the Record Straight The title of this episode is somewhat provocative and could be construed as controversial. Why do Christians get sick? The intent is not to blame individuals or heap condemnation on folks. I will challenge us to take responsibility and not relegate everything to God. When it comes to receiving and not receiving from the precious promises in God's word, I believe that we are the variable in the equation, so to speak. God is constant and does not change and his word is established forever. This season is based on the book I compiled, 
Healing is the Children's Bread. You can download it free from my ministry website. I found in life that human nature tends to get into one ditch or the other, from one extreme to the other. I'll be the first to admit that I don't have all the answers. Only God does. Anyone who claims to know it all is already in error. Our position in this life, according to 1 Corinthians 13.12, is now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Thankfully, the Lord has given us His Word to shed the light on many of the mysteries in life. Psalms 119 verse 130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Our goal is to avoid the extremes and lay out the truth of God's word plainly. Let's be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, receiving the message with great eagerness and examining the scriptures every day to see if what is being said is true. There are many modern-day Pharisees today, religious folks who with a broad brush of generalizations paint the word of faith and charismatic Christians as fanatics or like the metaphysical cult of the so-called Christian science group. Honestly, I pray for these well-intentioned but misguided so-called guardians of the truth. Instead of being a safeguard for the impressionable, they are sowing seeds of division and misinformation in the body of Christ. Yes, I deny the right for Satan to afflict my body with sickness and disease. No, I don't deny the reality of sickness. It's real. So is the devil, heaven, and hell. We are simply endeavoring to imitate our Heavenly Father in Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. So calling those things that are not as though they were is something that God does all the time. That's what Abraham did, and I don't hear folks accusing him of dabbling in a metaphysical cult. Romans 4.18 Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You know, we're also branded with the label of purporting a prosperity gospel. Well, yes, we agree with what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle John in 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Another oldie but goodie is that we preach a feel-good gospel, or that tired-out label of the name-it-and-claim-it or blab-it-and-grab-it bunch. Guilty as charged. We do subscribe to the full gospel message of this new life, as the angel told Peter and John when released from prison in Acts 5.20. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Let me be clear, as Christians... In this hostile world system, 
Jesus said we would have trouble. John 16.33 I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What kind of trouble is Jesus talking about here? Cancer? Diabetes? Car accidents? Living in poverty so our children are malnourished? Having mental health issues of depression? Suicidal tendencies? Schizophrenia? No, Jesus healed and delivered people from demonic activities such as these. But what Jesus can't prevent from happening to us is persecution. Why is that? Because those who oppose the gospel have a right to do so and have a free will to try and make things difficult for us. 2 Timothy 3.10 You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Revelation 2.10 Jesus said, Do not be afraid what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison detest you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Did you notice there was no mention of sickness or disease when it came to suffering? It was all about persecution from people. I encourage you to read First Peter chapter 4. You will see what the Bible describes as suffering according to the will of God. Number one is suffering in our body when it's craving evil desires. In other words, temptation to sin. The Bible says that Jesus suffered when he was tempted in his body, but never sinned. Hebrews 2.18 Crucifying the flesh and presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is not fun, but necessary and a privilege by God's grace and through our faith in God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, it's suffering as a Christian. People attacking us for our faith, insulting, discriminating, and basically endeavoring to make our life miserable for us. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 4, there is no mention of suffering for things that Satan would want to put on our physical bodies like sickness and disease, oppression of our souls with fear, and depression or rob us with poverty. We are redeemed from the curse of the law, as spelled out in Deuteronomy chapter 28, which can be summed up under three main categories, poverty, sickness, and death. Jesus came for the express purpose of destroying the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8, which Jesus had spelled out for us in simple terms in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. In Luke 10.17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So the bottom line is we have authority over all the power of the devil, but not over other people's wills. We have been given the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 18.18 to bind and loose against the kingdom of darkness. But we are to walk in love towards human enemies. You know, pray for them, do good to them, because they are deceived. Now, we have the authority to bind the devil from operating through people against us like this. Satan, I command you to cease and desist from your maneuvers and operations through so-and-so 
in Jesus' name. Here's an example of this in the ministry of Paul. He dealt with the devil, but the people still had their free will to persecute Paul and Silas. Acts 16.16 Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews who are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. If you read on from verses 25 to 40, you will see that God worked the good out of the situation when they focused on praising God instead of complaining about their troubles. People got saved and they were delivered from prison. When it comes to ministering healing to people, there are no magic formulas or secret incantations to utter. Every person's circumstances and the causes of their afflictions are unique. We absolutely depend on the Holy Spirit to lead us as he did Jesus when he comes to ministering to the sick. Even Jesus used different methods to heal people. A word, spit, hands, etc. However, there are principles of faith and patterns that Jesus used that we can imitate and follow. To do the works he did, according to John 14.12. Also, the early church relied heavily on the power invested in the name of Jesus to minister healing. Acts 3.12 When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. James 5.13 Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. If anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. Is there any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or woman of God is powerful and effective. So let's tap into all that the new covenant has afforded us. Since Jesus paid an incredible price for us not to let God's grace go in vain. Let's exercise authority through the name of Jesus over the devil and keep him from killing, stealing, and destroying in our lives and others. Yes, this life is full of challenges, but we have to fight the good fight of faith. Run the race that is marked out before us while standing on the word of God. We can say to those mountains, problems, and circumstances of life, it is written, In Mark 11, 12, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, 
Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance, a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Then down in verse 20, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Three Main Reasons Since it is so clearly revealed everywhere throughout the scriptures that the Heavenly Father wills for our healing, why do some in our day who seek healing fail to receive it? This is a question in the minds of many honest inquirers. There are several answers to this question, which we will mention briefly. If you have not received healing in the past, perhaps this segment in our teaching will identify some of the pitfalls that you may have fallen into. I have heard it, and you probably have too. Why haven't I been healed? Why did my mother die? Why was my baby born handicapped? We all have a lot of why questions. I have plenty of my own but not all of them will be answered in this life. They will have to wait until we join the Lord in heaven. However, the scriptures do shed a lot of light on many of the whys that we have. We will not always know why, but one thing we do know for sure, it's God's will for all to be healed all the time. When we fail to receive, that is never God's will. The scriptures tell us to ask God for wisdom in order to know where we've missed it. All we need to do is make the adjustments and receive God's wonderful provision of healing for our bodies. 1 Corinthians 13.9 For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So many of our why questions would be answered if we only looked at the way we live and compared it with the standard of obedience required by the Word of God. Then we would realize that we are not living up to God's conditions. Most people read the benefits promised in God's Word, but fail to read the conditions attached to them. As a result, that's usually the reason why they can't figure out why no healing has come. Let's now look at a number of avenues that the enemy tries to exploit against us. 2 Corinthians 2.11 Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. One reason why we don't receive the promises of God in our life is because of a simple lack of faith. God's word settles the matter forever. Divine healing is always his will. God's word is God's will. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If God says it in his word, that settles it. It's truth and will not change, regardless of our experiences or what we have seen happen to others. Just look at all the examples in the Gospels where Jesus continually attributed to folks receiving or not receiving as a result of their faith. Consider the generation of the Israelites who failed to enter the promised land. It was unbelief that caused them to die in the desert. 
That was not God's will. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of His calling, that by His power He may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Although in other places Jesus worked miracles and healed all that were sick, however, when he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up, the Bible tells us that he could not do any miracles there. Notice the Bible does not say that his just was not the will of God to do any miracles. In other words, Jesus wanted to perform miracles in his hometown, but he could not and was hindered because of their lack of faith. There are many churches and Christian lives today where the Lord wants to perform great healings and deliverances, but he can't, for the same reason it was 2,000 years ago, a lack of faith. Unbelief declares that God is a liar, when he clearly stated in his word that I am the Lord who heals you. Then folks turn around and say, it's not always his will to heal. My friends, this grieves the Holy Spirit terribly. So let's read that passage in Mark 6 verse 5. It says that Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Sadly, the traditions which the people today have been taught to believe in place of the plain word of God concerning the subject of healing has turned many congregations into a veritable Nazareth of unbelief. What I mean is is that many congregations today, it's a community of unbelief as the norm. Those who preach the full gospel and pray for the sick are oftentimes obliged to labor in a Nazareth of unbelief. It seems we can get results only so far as we can get rid of the traditions of the elders regarding healing by teaching the people what the scriptures actually teach on the subject. Clearly, as it was in Nazareth, so it is today. Faith is a critical ingredient for people to get healed. So to say that the sick can get healed without them exercising any faith is a misnomer. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. If we are lackadaisical and casual about seeking healing from God through faith in His Word, we will be disappointed. We have to press in and fight the good fight of faith and resist the devil with a bold conviction that does not take no for an answer from the circumstances of life. Others are not healed because they will only accept an instantaneous manifestation of miracles or gifts of healing from God. Because they are not made well and strong immediately, these people cast away their confidence. Healing can be progressive, like the ten lepers in Luke 17 verse 14. Oftentimes it's a holding fast to our confession of healing according to God's word that is required to receive our healing in the long run. Hebrews 6.12 We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Hebrews 10.35 So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll be able to receive what he has promised. So if it seems to some to be proper to account for the failure of some to receive healing by calling in question Christ's willingness to heal all sick persons, then why should we not call in question his willingness to save all sinners in order to explain the fact that so many in the churches today are unsaved? For example, upon a certain occasion, only one woman in a great thong touched Jesus with faith for healing. 
Later on, whole multitudes did so. It is a matter of receiving revelation from the Word and exercising faith. Just as during the Dark Ages of the Middle Ages, when the Word of God was locked up from the common people, not many were getting saved. It was not until the Protestant Reformation that unlocked God's Word into the hands of the masses that revival and salvation began to flourish. If God's Word is locked up on any subject like healing by religious traditions, churches can be living under the Dark Ages concerning that biblical truth and fail to receive God's provision for their lives. Regardless, no minister can expect to get results until the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is done first. Many splendid Christians today are not healed by prayer because they cannot pray the prayer of expectant faith. They say, perhaps God does not desire to heal me yet. And this, perhaps, causes a doubt in their heart. The Holy Spirit, through James, makes it clear. A person with a lack of faith should not expect to receive anything that he or she asks from the Lord. In James chapter 1, verse 5, in the Amplified, If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault-finding, and it will be given to him. Only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting. For the one who wavers, hesitates, and doubts is like the billowing surge out at sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. For truly, let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute. He is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about anything he thinks, feels, or decides. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Well, have been in 1 Peter 2.24 is past tense. That means we are already healed. We have to get our believing in the right tense for it to work for us. Now, God will often allow another person to release their faith on behalf of the one who doesn't know the word or they're still in the babyhood stage of Christianity. He will meet them on a lower level of faith. However, once they receive light from the word concerning God's will to heal, he expects them to walk in that light. God expects mature believers to walk in the light of what they know. That's why it's the most difficult thing in the world for some Christians to get healed, because they already have the light concerning healing, and God expects them to walk in that light, but they're not. We must walk in the light of what we know. Mark 4.24 in the Amplified And Jesus said to them, Be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. The responsibility is found with the hearer of God's word, what they do with it, whether it's a saint or sinner. Do we cherish the word, hide it in our hearts, and meditate on it day and night? Jesus was saying that the measure of attentiveness, expectation, and energy we apply to the word is the same measure of results we will get out of it. Reminds me of the old saying, you get out of it what you put into it. John 12:47 As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save it there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words 
that very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Faith does not come from having heard the word once or twice. Just read Romans 10.17. Faith does not come from having heard the word years ago either. When people say, well, I've heard that before, it is apparent that the word is not in their heart. Spiritual things never grow old. If a promise from God is old to us, it was never real to us in our spirit to begin with. For when God's word gets in our heart, it never grows old, but remains fresh and exciting every time we hear it. Folks can get in one healing line after another, travel the country, and have dozens of anointed men and women of God pray over them, and nothing happens, until they realize that their faith has everything to do with them getting healed. God requires them to exercise faith in the word, and not to be solely dependent upon someone else's faith and prayers, unless, of course, they are newly saved and don't know any better. If a promise from God is old to us, it was never real to us. Some people are always wanting God to speak to them like in an audible voice. But if they'd get in the Bible and read it and meditate on it, they'd find that God is speaking to them from every page. They're always looking for some new revelation, yet they haven't mastered walking in the light of what they already know. But when we walk in the light of what we know, more light will be given to us. In reality, it's the truth of God's anointed word, not some new revelation, that sets people free and destroys the yoke of bondage. Sometimes when I've tried to read scriptures to people on healing, they've said, oh, I've already heard that. That's like a man sitting down at the table to eat. But when a big T-bone steak is put on his plate, he says, no thanks, I've had a T-bone steak before. Just because we ate a T-bone steak one time doesn't mean we're never going to eat one again. Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is this verse saying? As natural food is to our physical body, the word of God is to our spirit. The word of God is food or nourishment for our spirit. Just because we ate a certain kind of natural food one time doesn't mean we're never going to eat it again. No, we'll come right back to the table and eat the same kinds of food again and again. So it is with God's word. If we keep meditating on healing scriptures, our whole life long, we will begin to experience divine healing for a lifetime. According to the book of James, faith without deeds is dead. It is not God's turn to move until we have faith with corresponding actions. The full exercise of Bible faith means that we think faith, speak faith, and act in faith. To the blind man, Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This act gave the man an opportunity to exercise faith in his heart mind and body. He was not healed until he had first given this visible expression of his faith, going to the pool of Siloam. He believed the healing was his before it was manifested. Some will not believe that their prayer for healing has been heard until they have experienced and seen the answer in advance. This is referred to as the Thomas kind of faith. This is also called sense faith, which relies on the five physical senses as evidence to answered prayer. This is not Bible faith. It does not please God and will not be honored because Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith in God's word is the only evidence we need. Taking God at his word. Otherwise, in effect, we are calling God a liar. John 20 verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus had not promised that our healing will begin before we believe that he has heard our prayer. Some suppose that they can keep on praying without believing that their prayer has been heard, at least until they are well. This is exactly the opposite of what God requires. In Mark 11.24, Jesus tells us exactly the conditions he requires for appropriating the promises of God in the Bible. Mark 11 verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. In other words, when we first believe in our spirit that he has answered our prayer, then and only then will the answer materialize. Which comes first, the believing or the receiving? Well, according to Jesus, the believing comes first, and then the receiving follows. When we reverse this divine order, we get no results. We fall into the same trap that Thomas did. Jesus had set a precedent when he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, even while Lazarus was still dead. So we should be able to say, I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I was healed, even while our physical bodies are still exhibiting symptoms. By meeting the requirements of faith, we can boldly declare that we are healed now, knowing by faith that the healing power of God is presently manifesting itself in our bodies. The simple fact is, is that the word of God works when we work it according to instructions. John 11.41 So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Mark 4.26 Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So we see in scripture that God has not promised that our prayer has been answered before we first believe that he has heard our prayer. So if this is true, then we must believe that our prayer has been heard when we really pray. We must be able to say with clear conviction that we know we have the petition what we desire of him, not because we see the answer in advance, but because God is faithful, who also will do it. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, which is his word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. We must be like Abraham, fully persuaded that God will honor his word when we act upon it in simple faith. This is how we know we believed God's word in our hearts, when we become fully persuaded. This heart faith only comes through meditating 
which means speaking God's word continually from our mouths. Joshua 1 8, Psalms 1 verse 1. So the word of faith principle in Deuteronomy 30 14 and Romans 10 8 declares, The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. The word is first in our mouths, then it gets into our hearts, and only then will we receive. So the goal here is simply to get the word in our hearts so we can believe it and be healed. The sowing is in the saying. God's word is spiritual seed that produces after itself by multiplication. In the process of time, after the word has been planted in our spirit, it will grow and produce a harvest of healing in our lives. These principles of faith works with whatever kind of seed we sow from God's word. It was these principles that got us born again to begin with when we heard scripture seeds. The same principle works when we get healed, when we meditate on healing scriptures or healing seed. Who told us to stop appropriating the word of faith principles of believing and receiving from God's word? Abraham did not keep on praying for the birth of Isaac until the child was born. Instead, he kept on believing and glorifying God for his word on the matter. Romans 4.18 Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Really, it's supposed to be the end of praying when one has been anointed for healing, according to James 5.13. And if one has been anointed really has faith, we will hear nothing but thanksgiving and praise until he or she has been healed. In other words, the healing is manifested. For example, when a child begs her mother for a new dress, until the mother says, Okay, I will get it for you. The child makes an end of asking before there is any dress in sight. Instead of continually saying, Please give me the dress, she says, Thank you. The switch of faith and trust must remain active during the manifestation process of the promises of God. Sometimes it takes time for things to manifest. When Jehoshaphat and his men, who after they had finished praying, went out into battle, singing praises to God, You can read that in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. Solomon, when he had finished praying, the fire of the Lord came down out of heaven and consumed the offering. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1. The healing of the ten lepers came while their trust was still active. Luke 17, 14. Let's read 2 Chronicles 7, 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. If we allow our faith to become inactive, it will weaken. If we keep it active, it will continually grow stronger. Some hinder God by basing their faith on their improvement after prayer rather than upon His promise. They do not realize that there is no reason for faith as good as the Word of God, and that God wants to train every Christian to believe Him even when everything they see except His promise is to the contrary. 2 Corinthians 10.15 Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. 
So here we see that both faith and love can and should grow and increase in the life of the believer. Another reason why Christians are and remain sick is due to a lack of knowledge of God's word. What we don't know can hurt us. Ignorance of God's word can cost the believer many hardships. Hosea 4.6 My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. This principle is true in any arena of life, but it is especially true concerning spiritual things. We cannot experience firsthand in our lives what we don't know exists. We can't receive what we do not know is available to us. This is simply an issue of ignorance and is remedied only by being enlightened with the revelation knowledge from God's word. The Holy Spirit through Paul tells us in Romans 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Many have sought healing from Jesus before having heard or known enough of the word of God to produce in them a steadfast faith. The early church believers were in one accord in the matter of proclaiming the entire gospel. They kept back nothing that was profitable. They declared the full counsel of God. We have seen that God's way of producing faith for healing is the same as that of producing faith for salvation, or any other blessing for that matter. So our faith is built on the foundation of what the scripture says that God's will is on the matter. Now I want you to get this. The hand of faith cannot reach out and receive from God what the eye of faith does not see to be the will of God. It is the truth of the written word that sets us free. That is, the truth known, understood, received, acted upon, manifested, and steadfastly believed with an appropriating faith. John 8.31 To the Jews who believed upon him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Acts 20 verse 26 Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Acts 5.19 But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. The word of God works when we work it according to directions in the scriptures. It is incorruptible seed. It can never fail. If it does, then God fails. Our confidence to receive from God must be firmly established in the fact that his word is mightily at work in us who believe. The word of God is the precious seed containing the very life and power of God to produce after itself 36 and a hundredfold depending on the condition of our hearts. As long as we keep our hearts pure, keep the word planted, protected, and cultivated, we are guaranteed a harvest every time. Some fail to receive healing because they are trying to get results from the seed, the word concerning healing, without knowing what the word is and without the knowledge of how to plant it in their spirit. The spirit of a person is the production center. They don't know how to put the word first place in their life and how to defeat the attacks of the enemy. The devil will try to get us to defeat ourselves by digging up the seed we had planted through negative confessions and or hardening our hearts through the practice of sin, not walking in love and gratifying the sinful passions of our body. The seed cannot work in us unless it is in us by our having known and received it. Luke 17.20 Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, 
Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. What is so lacking in the body of Christ today is accurate training on the subject of divine healing. Entering into God's inheritance is not automatic, nor can we set our Christian life on cruise control and expect to receive or amount to much for God's kingdom. It takes work, dedication, and sacrifice to study and pay the price of getting into God's word and become skilled, trained, and equipped to handle the word of God and the word of truth effectively. For many, it's easier to let the pastor do all their praying for them, do all their studying for them, and do all the ministry for them. Well, that's understandable for one who just got saved and is a babe in Christ. However, God expects us to grow up in our salvation now that we've tasted that the Lord is good. That is why many Christians who have been saved for a while are no longer maintaining their healing is because God is expecting them to learn to walk on their own faith legs. This way they can become trained in the things of God in order to help others. This is how God's kingdom is to multiply, spread, and grow. Each one reach one. Unfortunately, this is where the professional clergy has really dropped the ball. Instead of training the saints to do the work of the ministry, they've trained believers to be reliant and dependent upon them, I guess for job security purposes. But that's not what the fivefold ministry gifts are supposed to do, according to Ephesians 4 verse 11. In 2 Timothy 2.15 the Amplified, it states, Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. The bottom line is, we must first know what God has already freely given us in our glorious redemption through Jesus Christ before we can expect to experience it firsthand in our lives. The knowledge of God's will must precede faith for that will to be done. Sadly, multitudes of Christians today do not know that the perfect healing of their bodies is fully revealed as the will of God in the Bible. To know what the Word of God has to say on the matter is the only sufficient evidence or legal basis for appropriating faith. The power to provide is locked up in the seed itself. The life of the seed to produce according to its kind is in itself. All that is left for us to do is to release and unlock the power of God called grace that is contained in His Word through the spiritual laws of faith. John 17, 17 Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. John 1, 16 From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Acts twenty thirty two. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Ephesians 3, 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. By these scriptures and others, I believe that a good definition, a Bible definition of grace, would be the power of God at work in us who believe. When people talk about God's unmerited favor, I believe that that would be a better description of God's mercy rather than God's grace. Now, unless those who are seeking healing can say with full conviction, it is written, When their faith is tested, their belief cannot remain steadfast. Only God's word can settle the question of God's will. The word of God spoken from our spirit, not from the head as mere mental assent, is the sword of our spirit that defeats the enemy every time. Hebrews 4.12 and Ephesians 6.17 
The Bible is called the Word of Truth, Grace and Power of God. This is what it is and does to save, produce, change, and deliver. Multitudes of Christians who have suffered under the tyranny of Satan's sicknesses and diseases have prayed for healing for years without success, and have done so because in their prayers the faith-destroying phrase of, if it be thy will, had been uttered. However, when the light of God's word drawn on their spirit concerning the will of God and healing, divine healing finally manifested in their lives. The truth of the matter is, I never pray for healing, because healing has already been provided. I just confess it as mine in Jesus' name. It's the same thing when we get saved in Romans 10.9. The sinner doesn't pray to be saved. They simply confess Jesus as their Lord because salvation has already been provided. All things that pertain to redemption that have already been provided just need to be received, claimed, received and asked for in Jesus' name. That's why it says in Mark 16 that we will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There's no mention of prayer. It's just being done in the name of Jesus. These signs will follow them who believe in my name. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There's no prayer there. It's releasing authority. And in the name of Jesus gets the job done. That may be one reason why a lot of Christians aren't getting healed is because they're praying for something they already have. Instead of claiming it, they're praying for something. Well, God can't give you something he's already given you. You've already received it. By his healing stripes, we were and are healed. So just claim it, thank God for it, and walk in divine health in Jesus' name. The early church members were not only in one accord in teaching the subject, but they also lifted up their voices to God in one accord in prayer for signs and wonders to be manifested. The prayer of faith was already set in motion before the sick were brought into the streets of Jerusalem. It was not the faith of a single evangelist, but the faith of the entire company of believers that brought healing to everyone in the streets of Jerusalem after Jesus' ascension. Acts chapter 5 verse 14. Sadly, the majority of ministers and church members today, through their ignorance and in their traditions on the subject of ministry of healing, are opposed to it as it was taught and preached and practiced in the early church. This is the reason why many folks are not healed. Their own ministers are in unbelief. Instead of praying in one accord for these healing results, as the early church members did, basically claiming healing in the name of Jesus, the present church members as a whole have not accepted our Lord's attitude towards sickness as revealed in the Gospels. In our day, opposition often takes the place of united prayer. Unbelief takes the place of united faith. Lukewarmness takes the place of being spirit-filled, unlike the early church. So here's a question. Would not the blame for the failure of so many receiving healing today are largely due to the unbelieving part of the church itself, since we are members of one another? I believe you would say yes to this. At least it has an indirect effect upon us individually and a greater effect upon us corporately. So what is the cure to such rampant lack of faith concerning healing? It's really simple. If the ministry gifts in Ephesians 4.11 would simply teach and preach the truth on the matter until we were all in one accord and come into the unity of the faith, healings would be more common in occurrence. Unfortunately, there are too many doubting Christians who are making it practically impossible for the church to be in one accord in prayer and faith for the sick. The church is out of tune with God's program. So my appeal to the body of Christ today is, let's get on the same page concerning healing. Ephesians chapter 4.11 It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, 
so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Let's illustrate this point of corporate belief further. Suppose it was generally believed that the day of being born again has passed away. As we so often hear it said, the day of miracles has passed. Consider how this would hinder us from preaching the gospel. Christian workers could have no success in saving souls except by getting people to give up the false tradition that the new birth has passed away and start believing the Bible again. We must always put the Word of God first place in our lives as our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and conduct. The Word of God is the voice of God. The Bible is God speaking to you and me. On the other hand, suppose from infancy we have been all taught that healing is included in the gospel message as forgiveness of sins. In this case, I'm sure that very few would have any difficulty in producing faith for healing. It is the Word of God which produces faith for healing. The problem is simple, and so is the solution. There has been too little accurate teaching on the subject in the body of Christ, too much false teaching on traditions of men and the psychology of unbelief, particularly in North America. When one goes overseas, the simplicity of the gospel is presented in power to save, heal, and deliver, and the results speak for themselves. Be it unto you according to your faith, and faith comes from hearing the word. In our Western society, intellectualism and liberal theology has embalmed folks in unbelief and the religious traditions of men, as a result paralyzing the faith of many to receive anything from God except for an occasional scrap given out of his mercy. Now some afflictions are the direct work of an evil spirit which must be cast out. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus did not heal the epileptic disease, but rather cast the epileptic spirit out. He also had cast out the deaf and dumb spirits out and other spirits of infirmity that were the direct cause of the sickness and disease. For example, Luke 13.10 On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Luke 13 verse 16 says, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Let me give you an example from my own personal experience, as far as when people don't receive because they don't know. I belonged to a denominational church when I first got born again. I was there for about almost 10 years, and not once did I ever hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Now, this denomination loved God, they were evangelical, they believed in the new birth, but they didn't believe in the Acts 2 experience was for today. So I never experienced it because I was completely ignorant of it. It wasn't until my senior year of high school that I overheard some people talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And so they ministered the Word of God to me, and I received. And this was on Easter of 1985. And my life had never been the same since. I mean, the new birth was dramatic, so was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I received power to be a witness. Here's the tragedy. I should have received that experience right after I got born again, according to the model we see in the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 8. Now, I went back to those pastors and I asked them, 
I received this wonderful gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit according to Acts 1.8. Why haven't you shared this? Well, what they said really surprised me. They said, we too have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we speak in tongues, but our denomination as a whole doesn't believe in it. So in order to keep the peace, we don't talk about it. So I told them respectfully, I'm going to go to another church that preaches the full gospel, the full message of this new life. I want to receive everything Jesus has provided for me through his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. So let's look at the third reason why Christians get and remain sick. It's disobedience to God's word. Unrepentant sin gives the enemy the right to kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. Israel in the Old Testament was a good example of this. Proverbs 19.3 A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. It would be incredulous for the children of Israel to think, Isn't it wonderful to have all these benefits and promises from the Lord, but not pay any attention to the requirements He has given to them, to do what is right in His sight, or to give ear to all His commandments, or keeping all His statutes? Under the New Covenant, the requirement is to walk in love. Romans 13.8, Galatians 5.6 So in Exodus 15.26, He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring or permit on you any of the diseases that I brought or permitted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. If we would just stick to the word of God and obey what he tells us to do, God's blessings will surely follow us. God described all the blessings that would overtake his covenant children if they would simply obey all his commands. Deuteronomy 28.1 if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Psalms 23, 6 Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The truth is we have it a lot easier under the new covenant. For us there is only one command to obey. The law of the new covenant is that we walk in love. One step out of love is one step into sin. God is a faith God, and His power is released in our lives through our faith in His word. However, faith also works by love, according to Galatians 5.6. We must learn to walk in love by obeying God's commands. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. 1 John 5 2 This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. 1 Thessalonians 1 3 We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It was always God's will for all of his children to be healthy. Adam and Eve were created perfect, without any weaknesses or ailments. It was our disobedience and sin that ushered in the curse of Satan, called death, that has been afflicting mankind since the fall of man. Yet God in his mercy has sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil, and has restored back to mankind healing, wholeness, and strength. Praise the Lord. Divine healing is a big part of redemption. However, God has not promised to destroy the works of the devil in the body while we are still clinging to the works of the devil in the soul. 
Unconfessed sin hinders people from receiving God's mercy. Proverbs 28.13 He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Being lukewarm in our walk with God is also disobedience, and will therefore hinder us from receiving healing. Living in a backslidden state is one way we open the door to the devil and invite satanic oppression in our lives in the form of sickness and disease. Revelation 3.15 Jesus said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. Unforgiveness is another pitfall that Christians can find themselves in. Holding on to grudges or bitterness towards others is a sure way to short-circuit our faith to receive healing. Mark 11.25 Jesus said, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Ephesians 4.31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Hebrews 12.14 Make every effort to live in peace with all people, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Many Christians are not healed because of false teaching. Jesus blasted the religious leaders for nullifying the word of God for the sake of their traditions. In our day, many ministers have done worse, for they have made void a part of the gospel by their traditions. Matthew 15.3 Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise receive from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So let's look now at eight traditions of men that rob God's people of divine healing. Tradition number one, it is not God's will to heal all. One such tradition is that it's not always his will to heal, for God sovereignly chooses who to heal and who not to. Some go so far that God purposely puts sickness on people in order to discipline them for their own good. It is a mystery to me how anyone can hold this view in the face of the scriptures and the ministry of Jesus, who for three and a half years healed all who came to him for healing, all who were oppressed of the devil, not by God. Just look at Acts 10.38. If it is God's will to heal only some of those who needed healing, then none have any basis for faith, until they have received a special revelation that they are among the favored ones. If God's promises to heal are not for all, then no person can ascertain the will of God for themselves from the Bible. Are we to understand from such teachers that we must close our Bibles and get our revelation directly from the Holy Spirit before we can pray for the sick? Because the will of God in this matter cannot be ascertained from the Scriptures? This would be virtually to teach that the whole of the divine activity on the line of healing would have to be governed by direct revelations from the Holy Spirit instead of by the Scriptures. Yet the Bible declares that he sent his word and healed them. Psalms 107.20 Tradition number two, developing patience in sickness. Another tradition which is responsible for thousands dying a premature death after years of physical agony is the teaching that we glorify God more by remaining sick and exhibiting patience than we can by being divinely healed. An honest but unenlightened minister will often kneel at the bedside of one suffering from arthritis or cancer 
or some other dangerous disease and pray, Lord, since in thy loving providence thou hast seen fit to lay thine afflicting hand upon our dear sister, give her the fortitude and the patience to bear this affliction. He utters this pompous religious prayer instead of obeying the plain command to anoint any sick in the church and to pray the prayer of faith for their healing, James 5.14, which method John Wesley says was the only process of healing in the church until it was lost through unbelief. Tradition number three, the age of miracles has passed. Here is another common and threadbare tradition, is the worn-out statement that the age of miracles has passed. Of all the present-day traditions of the elders or ministers, this is the most foolish, illogical, and unscriptural of any that I know. The Holy Spirit, in whose age we are now living, is God's only miracle worker, the only administrator of the Father's will, the one who healed all the sick multitudes who came to Jesus for healing during his earthly ministry. All the miracles ever worked until the day of Pentecost was accomplished by the Holy Spirit, the miracle worker, before he had entered officially for his own dispensation. The age in which we live today was intended by our Heavenly Father to be the most miraculous of all the dispensations, because it is the miracle worker's age, the Holy Spirit's dispensation. During this age, the great promise is that God will pour out His Holy Spirit, the miracle worker, upon all people. This is the age where the nine manifestations of the Spirit, including the gifts of faith and healing and miracles, were to be distributed through God's people by the Holy Spirit. This is in part what Jesus referred to as the greater works in John 14.12, would be done by the Spirit of God. Tradition number four, if it be thy will. It is impossible for one to ever pray the prayer of faith until the if has been removed from his or her prayer. To have real faith is to be fully persuaded that God will do what he has promised to do. And no one is ever fully persuaded when they add to their prayer, if it be thy will. Since God has revealed his will in this matter through his precious promises, for us to say, if it be thy will, when praying for healing is the same as to say, if it be thy will to keep thy promise. In other words, we're saying, Lord, I'm not so sure you mean what you say and will keep your word. God's response is, are you calling me a liar? I will go into greater depth on this later on. Tradition number five, Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness. Another unscriptural premise that has sent thousands of sufferers to premature graves and has kept multitudes of others from receiving healing is the modern teaching that Paul's thorn in the flesh was some kind of physical illness. I will go on into greater detail on this area under sacred cow number six later on in this season. Tradition number six, Jesus healed as the son of God. Here is a tradition that has hindered the ministry of healing in teaching that Jesus healed the sick as the Son of God, not as the Son of Man. Such teachers believe that all healing came from Jesus because He is God. Now that He is in heaven, we should not expect such works to continue today. However, the scriptures teach us that Jesus, the Son of God, had emptied Himself of all divine abilities and became just like us in all things, except He never sinned. Please read Philippians chapter 2. Jesus spoke of himself as a son of man about 80 times, and as the son of man he said, By myself I can do nothing, in John 5 verse 30. Philippians 2 6 Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This certainly was not true of him 
before he became the Son of Man, because all things were made by him and for him. Colossians 1.16 We have already seen that Jesus did his works in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. It was not until John's baptism in Luke 3.22, where the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like that of a dove, that we see any miracles performed by Jesus. Luke 4.1 Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. And then afterward in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus made it clear in John 14.12 that his ministry would not end at the resurrection. As a matter of fact, it would become widespread and thus greater in its impact around the globe. John 14.12 Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Consider Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. What was it that Jesus said to his apostles before his ascension into heaven? All we have to do is look further down in the same chapter. They too were to be anointed with the same Holy Spirit. He is the secret to performing miracles, signs, and wonders. The very words here are quoted in Acts 1.1. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Prove that what the Lord began both in doing and teaching was to be continued by the Holy Spirit operating through the church, his body. Acts 1 verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And then in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus himself said that the signs that would follow the believer were the same signs that followed his own earthly ministry. If it was not the Lord's intent to continue his ministry in the earth after his ascension, then he would not have continued performing signs and wonders through his followers. Mark 16.15 Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. In verse 19, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Tradition number seven, our lifestyle is not a factor. We can't violate the laws of nature and abuse our bodies and expect to walk in divine healing. Some folks have challenges with overeating, and as a consequence are experiencing all kinds of health problems. This will prove to be an hindrance to answering their prayers. After God had revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the healer, he gave the people of Israel dietary laws for their physical well-being. Now in the New Covenant, we're not under those dietary laws anymore, but we do need to be led by the Spirit on what we eat and how much we eat. Tradition number eight. God uses sickness to lead us into his perfect will. Some subscribe to the notion that God permits sickness and affliction to remain on some of us as a way to rein them into the center of his will. 
and when this has been done, he removes the sickness. If he were to remove the illness too soon, many would run away, and so deprive themselves of the pleasure of living out the divine will of God for their lives. Again, this is a classic case of human reasoning, and there is no scripture to support this line of thinking. As a result, it would be impossible to pray the prayer of faith, to get the so-called sovereign hand of God that is allowing the sickness to be removed if this were true. They have been taught that sickness and pain are sent by God himself to discipline them and make them wholly submissive to his will. These dear saints pray for patience to be submissive to God's will, who has, as they suppose, so severely afflicted them. However, these same saints are quick to send for a physician or a nurse and begin to take medicine or have an operation in order to get out of this disagreeable experience, which they believe God has brought upon them to beautify their character. Is this submission to God's will if one really believes that this sickness has been sent from God? No. Hebrews 12.6 Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. These saints cannot pray the prayer of faith to be healed, because they believe it is God's will that they should be sick. But strangely, without any hesitation, they send for a physician and use all possible human remedies to get out of that which God has sent upon them for their good. Human nature, indeed, is a funny thing. God uses his word to train and discipline us. So if sickness, as some think, is the will of God for his faithful children, then it would be a sin for them to even desire to be well, to say nothing of spending thousands of dollars to defeat his sovereign purpose for their lives. I truly thank God for all the help that has ever come to sufferers through the physician, through the surgeon, the hospital, and the trained nurse. However, if sickness is the will of God, then to quote one writer, every physician is a lawbreaker, every trained nurse is defying the Almighty, every hospital is a house of rebellion instead of a house of mercy, and instead of supporting hospitals, we ought to do our utmost to close every one of them. Obviously, this kind of sentiment is absurd, but that's where this kind of religious line of thinking takes us, if it was really God's will for us to be sick. If the modern theology of those who teach that God wants some of his worshipers to remain sick for his glory is true, then Jesus, during his earthly ministry, never hesitated to rob the Father of all the glory he could by healing all who came to him. The Holy Spirit, likewise, robbed him of all the glory he could by healing all sick in the streets of Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Even Paul, too, robbed God of all the glory he could by healing all the sick on the island of Melita. In Acts 28.7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Many today hold erroneously that God afflicts even the obedient because he loves them making sickness a love token from our Heavenly Father. If this is true, why do they try to get rid of his love token? Why does not the one suffering with cancer pray for a double portion for themselves and also ask him to thus bless his wife, children, father, and mother, and neighbors with this wonderful blessing? Obviously, I'm being facetious here, but certainly God will allow or permit his children to be attacked by the enemy because we ourselves allow it. What we allow, God allows. Satan has a legal right to do so in those instances of unrepentant sin, ignorance, or a lack of faith. 
but that is never his divine will for his children. Thank God the afflictions of the enemy can be avoided according to 1 Corinthians 11.31. If we would judge ourselves and repent of sin, we in fact close the door on the devil from attacking us with his sickness and disease, among other evil things. Divine healing is not unconditionally promised or is automatically applied to all Christians regardless of their conduct. It is for those who believe and obey God's word. It is imperative that we be quick to forgive and quick to repent. You see, many problems in life can be avoided if we just act wisely and walk in obedience to God's word. Psalms 25.10 All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Proverbs 28.26 He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 9.12 On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This is true. Every sick person does need a physician, and if he or she, for any reason, cannot exercise expectant faith in the promises of Christ, the great physician, then all such should send for a doctor. Praise God for the many noble physicians in our land who go forth day or night, in good or bad weather, to relieve suffering. Many often drive miles to serve poor people, though they know they will not receive a dollar. Among our physicians today are many noble men and women of God who believe in prayer and always ask God for help before they prescribe or perform an operation. May God bless them, and no advocate of divine healing should ever say or write an unkind word against them. If Christian people are sick and for any reason cannot meet God's conditions for receiving divine healing by faith, then let them get a physician, and the sooner the better. James 1.17 states that every good and perfect gift is from above, and I believe that medical science, on the most part, does a lot of good for humanity and is from God. Obviously, God is about keeping people alive as long as possible in order for them to hear the gospel and increase their chances of being saved. Satan is about shortening folks' lives in order to get them to hell sooner rather than later. Therefore, the practice of medical science to preserve life is from God. Medicine can be a great ally by diminishing pain in order for believers to focus on healing scriptures and release the healing grace of God through faith. In other cases, medical science actually keeps people alive like those suffering under diabetes or heart conditions. This way, in the meantime, they can focus on the ultimate solution of receiving a permanent healing from God through faith in His Word. It is not faith or wisdom to tell a person dependent upon life-preserving medical care to stop receiving such treatment as a prerequisite to be healed. This is not faith, but presumption and foolishness. Unless a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, is in operation, gifts of healings or working of miracles or special faith, for an instantaneous healing, a patient should continue taking their medicine until their own faith in God's word concerning healing reaches such a point where it becomes unnecessary for them to continue taking their treatment. In other words, in the process of time, their faith in God's word weans them off and replaces the medical treatment with a permanent healing from God. I only have issue with the notion of leaving God out of everyday life, especially in the area of healing. If a Christian goes their entire life without making any effort to receive from God, only trusting in man for their solutions, this is a great problem. However, we can leverage and take advantage of human inventions from God as a stopgap for assistance on the road of faith. In time, we can learn to become completely dependent and reliant upon the grace of God's redemption through faith in His Word. 
trusting God to meet all of our needs in this life, spiritual, mental, financial, social, physical, etc. Let's now look at the case of the man born blind. Here is a choice religious notion. Those who espouse to suffering, sickness, and disease for the glory of God will use the following passage to support their assertion in John 9 verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We cannot read into this passage that God selectively picks certain individuals for some esoteric or mysterious reason to display some spiritual work in their lives and those around them. The Bible does not support such a conclusion. Common belief at that time was that the parents had sinned in such a way as to incur the wrath of God upon their children. Exodus 20 verse 5. Just read Ezekiel chapter 18, which clarifies that whole idea. That is why the disciples asked in John 9 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What Jesus says next is what many folks misunderstand in John 9 3. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Therefore, some people reason from this verse that the man was born blind in order that God might get glory from it. But Jesus went on to say in John 9 4, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Well, the works of God weren't made manifest in that blind man until Christ did what he was sent to do, heal. Not in making him blind in the first place. Jesus healed the man's blindness. So the works that Jesus was referring to was healing, not the man's blindness. Jesus came to destroy and undo what the devil has done to humanity through the fall of man in bringing sickness, disease, and deformity to plague mankind. Someone might ask, well, what about Lazarus? Doesn't the Bible say he was sick for the glory of God? No, people just put their own interpretation on that. Remember when Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick? Jesus purposely waited instead of hurrying to his friend's bedside. Then he told his disciples, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. John 11.4 Later when Jesus arrived in Bethany with his disciples, Lazarus had been dead four days. Lazarus' sister Martha told Jesus that if he had been there, her brother would not have died. Then Jesus told her that her brother would rise again. In John 11.24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Shortly after this, Martha protested Christ's command to roll away Lazarus' gravestone. She knew that after four days, his body would have already begun to decompose and stink. But notice the Lord's response in John 11.40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus was really telling Martha that she had not yet seen the glory of God. Martha couldn't have seen the glory of God in her brother's death because God's glory hadn't been made manifest yet. The glory of God was not manifested in Lazarus being sick and dying. The glory of God was manifested in Lazarus being resurrected and healed. Lazarus not only had to be resurrected, but also had to be healed of whatever had caused his death. If he wasn't also healed, he would have died again immediately. 
God is glorified through healing and deliverance, not through sickness and suffering. God does not discipline his children through sickness. It is true that the Bible says in Hebrews 12.6, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. However, it does not say, whom the Lord loves, he also makes them sick in order to teach them a lesson. It is a mistake to take a small portion of scripture and try to prove something. There is no reference to sickness in this text, and there is no implication of sickness or disease in the word discipline in the original Greek. The full meaning of this word can be gleaned from the writings of Dr. Robert Young, a recognized Greek scholar, and W.E. Vine, author of an expository dictionary of New Testament words. We learn from them that discipline literally means to child train, educate, or teach, just as small children need to be taught and corrected so they can grow to be healthy children and adults. Baby Christians need to be taught and corrected with the Word of God so they can grow up to be spiritually healthy Christians. God's children need to be disciplined and governed, which is what the word discipline means in the original Greek. Just a side note about the subject of inspiration, which I will cover in more detail later on. The Bible is given by inspiration, but not everything that is recorded in the Bible is inspired from God. In other words, suitable for making doctrine for us to follow. For example, neither Satan, Job, nor his three friends spoke by inspiration of God. They gave utterances to their own opinions. All that inspiration vouches for is that no one of them will be misrepresented, but that each one spoke the sentiments that are attributed to him in Scripture. Therefore, what is said gives insight into the character, activities, and motives of the devil and men. So remember, that what they said is inspired by God, but only in the sense that what they said was accurately recorded as reliable information for our benefit to refer to. Even though the author of the book of Job is unknown, it was not written by Job, but was a written account of his life, detailing what he said and did. Also, it is said that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. The Bible is a progressive revelation of God to mankind. So Job had the least amount of light to work with. Job 1.1, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Therefore, when Job made the following statement, in Job chapter 5, verse 17, Blessed is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. He was speaking from his own personal perspective and perception. It was his opinion and not the truth. As we read the book of Job, we come to find out not everything was as it appeared to be to Job. For we found out that it was the devil behind all of Job's troubles, not God. Job 2.7 So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Correct Bible interpretation practices are found in Scripture interpreting Scripture, as referred to as the analogy of faith. We will establish throughout this season that the notion that Job had concerning God's form of discipline in making people sick just so that he can turn around and heal them is flat wrong and will be disproved over and over again. Children must be disciplined, corrected, and trained in love. One meaning of the word chasten is to educate. Parents send their children to school so they can be educated. But again, parents don't tell the teacher, if my child doesn't act right, just knock his eye out or break his leg. That isn't the way to educate a child. And that's not how God educates his children either. 
2 Timothy 3.14 But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God uses His Word to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness in order to be thoroughly equipped for every good work according to 2 Timothy 3.14. With that being said, I am not seeing what the devil throws at us, sickness, trials, tests, and temptations, are listed here. Even though God does turn around for good, what the devil means for evil. God is not the author of those evil circumstances, nor does he send them into our lives. Simply read James 1-2, Romans 8-28, 1 Thessalonians 5-18. In Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In a truth, we wouldn't need any other scriptures in the Bible to preach divine healing, and we have plenty of them, than what Jesus said in Matthew 7.11. Let me show you what I mean. How many of you parents want your children to be sick? Not one of you. You'll do everything in the world that you can to provide for them so that your children will eat well, live well, and stay well. Well, what is Jesus saying then in Matthew 7, 7? He's saying that if earthly parents know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give us good things? God gives His children far beyond what earthly parents could even think or do. That's because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1.17 God doesn't change. He always gives good gifts to His children. We've already learned that healing is connected with doing good. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. Acts 10.38 The Bible tells us that healing is good, but we don't have to read the Bible to know that's true. We just have good sense. We know that. Even the world knows that. Have you ever been sick? Have you ever been well? So which one's better? Being well is much better, isn't it? Healing is a good gift from God, and healing belongs to God's children. It is the children's bread. If it be thy will concerning healing. Other saints are not healed because they always ask with those fatal words, If it be thy will. Some people just tack the phrase, If it be thy will, on the end of their prayers out of tradition. They think they're being humble, but they're really robbing themselves of the blessings of God. Anything the Bible promises us or says belongs to us is ours. We don't have to put an if in our prayers when we pray according to God's word. That's why praying, Lord, if it be thy will, please heal me, is unnecessary. God has already plainly told us in his word that it is his will to heal us. A sinner wouldn't pray, Lord, save me, if it be thy will. That kind of prayer would be ridiculous, because God's word declares that it's his will for them to be saved. The same goes for the air of healing. I can see why people subscribe to such notions. We really can't blame them. For they read in such erroneous books, such as The Healing Question, 
Page 127 states, quote, The most essential element in believing prayer is to ask according to his will. It does not say, If we ask anything according to our will, he heareth us. But if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 1 John 5.14 Without this, prayer is not really prayer, nor real faith, but dictation to God, which must be more obnoxious to him than when a child comes to an earthly father insists on having that which the father knows would only hurt his child. The highest prayer which lips of clay can pray is the prayer the Son of God prayed in dark Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And thus the child of God prays still, and such a prayer is acceptable and well-pleasing in his sight. Unquote. So yes, 1 John 5.14 states that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, what is God's will? God's word is God's will. So when we pray prayers that are based on the word of God, that is the will of God, and God will answer those prayers. I'm not suggesting that we ask God presumptuously apart from his word. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and God's word is God's will. Now, Ephesians 6.18 states, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This plainly states that there are all kinds of prayer, meaning plural. In other words, there's not just one prayer for all situations. Just as a carpenter does not use a hammer for all situations, neither does a Christian when it comes to prayer. The prayer that Jesus had prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane was a prayer of consecration, as it pertained to God's will for redemption to be fulfilled in his death, burial, and resurrection. We also can pray this prayer as we express our willingness to follow God's plan and direction for our lives in the future as well. So let me be clear. The only time and place for if it be thy will is when we pray the prayer of consecration. James provided an example of this as it pertains to making future plans, we should always dedicate ourselves to God's will and not our own. James 4.13 Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. For example, if we are thinking of changing where we live and are not yet certain that this change is God's will for our lives, we ought to pray, Lord, I would like to move to this other city and do this or that, and perhaps you don't want me to remain here. Lord, I only want to do your will for my life. So I ask you for wisdom in this situation in Jesus' name. This is the only thing we can do when we are uncertain of God's will concerning his plans for our lives. However, when it comes to receiving healing, It would be the wrong tool or prayer to use the prayer of consecration. Rather, we are to use the prayer of faith, as mentioned in James 5.15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. With so much false teaching circulating around today, it's no wonder that the majority of the saints know little or nothing regarding divine healing. When the opponents of divine healing quote 1 John 5.14 so frequently, why do they never quote John 15.7? Ask for anything based on the word. Or 1 John 3.22, ask for anything while obeying his commands. And Matthew 15.21, concerning the faith element. The only reason these opponents of divine healing do not quote these passages is because they prove their teaching regarding prayer to be absolutely false, and they are so prejudiced against divine healing to face the truth of God squarely. Andrew Murray says, It simply is impossible to pray with faith 
when we are not sure that we are asking according to the will of God. As long as one prays, thus inserting, If it be thy will, one is praying with submission, but this is not the prayer of faith. Then no one can possibly pray the prayer of faith which saves the sick, according to James 5.15, and put in the amendment, If it be thy will. So when one prays for the sick and inserts, If it be thy will, they are virtually saying, Lord, I do not know whether you desire to heal this person or let them die. But whatever you do, Lord, will please me. Do not let my request to have him live make any difference in your sovereign will whatsoever. You know, such a prayer as this reveals fatalism, not faith. Mark 11.22 Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now notice the words, and does not doubt in his heart. To pray the prayer of faith, Christ says we must ask and not doubt in our hearts. No one can possibly pray this prayer of faith unless he knows for a certainty that it is God's will to heal the one being prayed for. When we inject the provisional, if it be thy will, It is always an acknowledgement that we're not praying the prayer of faith, but that we have a doubt in our own heart. And James 1.7 says, The man who prays with doubt in his heart should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. When we pray the prayer of faith for healing, we must believe that we have already received that for which we prayed for, and have no doubt about this fact. Mark 11.22 But such a prayer cannot possibly be offered unless we know it is God's will to heal. Suppose you are ministering to an unbeliever about Jesus, and he asks you, Doesn't God know whether I will be saved or lost? Yes, you reply. Then he says, Well, if I am going to be saved, I will be saved. And if I am going to be lost, I will be lost. So it's all up to God. I have no responsibility in the matter. That is true Calvinism right there. There is a big difference between foreknowledge and predestination. You would call this fatalism, not faith. And you would explain to him that to be saved He must meet God's conditions for salvation, which is simple faith in calling on the name of Jesus. Likewise, when we pray for the sick and insert the provisional, if it be thy will, we are placing all the responsibility of that healing on God, assuming absolutely none for ourselves. We are forgetting that Christ set down certain hard and fast conditions, principles of faith and walking in love, which must be met before our prayer of faith will be answered, and we will cover this in greater detail in this season. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that the new birth, the remission of sin, belongs to the worst sinner just as much as it belongs to the Christian? The remission of sins belongs to people in jail and prison, even those who are on death row, just as much as it belongs to the most faithful churchgoer. Why? Because the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus paid for the salvation of every man, woman, boy, and girl who would ever live on this earth. But people must believe on Jesus and receive him as their own personal Lord and Savior before salvation can benefit them. So we can see in scripture that salvation belongs to the sinner. Then why doesn't every sinner get saved? It's either because no one has ever shared the gospel with them, so they don't know about salvation, or because someone has told them, but they didn't believe it or accept it. The same thing is true with healing. 
One reason many Christians haven't received healing is they've never heard the word of God on healing. They don't know healing belongs to them already. They thought that they had to stay sick, but healing still belongs to them. There are other reasons why Christians don't get healed as well. But the point is, healing belongs to them. We know it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that destroys every yoke of sickness and disease. But actually, the anointing is released by acting on God's anointed word. That is, by believing it and applying it to our own lives through faith. Isaiah 10.27 And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off his shoulders and his yoke from off his neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Read Matthew 21.22 Jesus said, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If we were to add to Jesus' words and insert, If it be thy will, then we cannot ask believing, for we put all the responsibility on God. It's up to God now, whether it's your will or not to be healed this time. But his word has already established that it's his will that we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 says that by his stripes we were healed. Healing is not just one-sided, all up to God. Yes, it's by his grace, but it's also through our faith that we receive. It's through our faith that all the promises of God, salvation, healing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is appropriated in our lives. So many of God's people are waiting on God, but God is waiting on us to mix our faith with his word in order to release his grace and power in our lives. In Mark 9.22, there's an account of a father looking for deliverance for his demon-possessed son. He makes a statement akin to, if it be thy will, by saying, if you can, to Jesus. I love the Lord's response. In Mark 9.21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often throws him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Thankfully, the man admitted his unbelief to the Lord and Jesus immediately delivered his son. Jesus let the man know that the if, the responsibility of the cure, did not lie solely with him, but also with the Father as well. How easy it is for us to forget this. Again, read Mark eleven twenty-two to 24 and see how God puts all the responsibility for answer prayer on us because God has done all he's ever going to do concerning redemption. Now it's up to us to appropriate it by his grace and through our faith. He says here, as plainly as language can express it, that our faith in God's word is what moves the circumstances of life out of the way. When we speak God's word and declare it is written, we are automatically declaring God's will on the matter. So we don't have to wonder about it and use the word if, which just undermines our faith. Just because we read Matthew 8.17 doesn't mean it's going to work for us automatically. A lot of times people think God's word is just going to work for them without having to mix faith with it. For example, some Christians read Matthew 8.17, He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases, and expect the truth of that verse to just fall on them. They'll say, well, if that verse is so, why am I not healed? They're not experiencing divine healing and health because they don't really believe and accept God's word. The truth of God's word won't do them any good until they know it, believe it, and accept it. In other words, 
They think they don't have to lift a finger in the matter, but that's not true. The blessings of God must be appropriated by faith according to God's written word. In other words, we must receive by faith the blessings of God already provided for us in his word. It doesn't just happen automatically. Otherwise, everyone in the world would just get saved automatically. So if certain scholars are right in saying that we should always insert the provisional if it be thy will when we pray, then why did Jesus say to the two blind men in Matthew 9.29, according to your faith will be done to you? Why didn't he just say, according to my will be it unto you? Because God has placed the responsibility for answered prayer on us, not upon himself. God's will is already settled on this matter. Now it's up to us to mix the promises of God with our faith in order to receive. God does not show favoritism, nor has he changed his mind about healing, for all to be healed and made well. Luke 15:12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. If it was ever God's will that any of his saints should remain sick, then why would he have given us that great command in James? James 5.14 If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Note the word, let them call for. In the Greek, it means to call or summon for one's own benefit or aid. And the imperative context means immediate action. It demands that the command be executed and be made a past event at once. Here then, we have a direct command from God himself that every saint, when sick, should at once call to his aid or her aid the elders of the church. Just as there is a direct command that the elders should pray over the sick person, having first anointed him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. Now some of us are fully persuaded that if it were ever God's will that his saints should remain sick, in place of here saying, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up, James 5.15 would actually read, and the prayer of faith shall, if it be God's will, save the sick, and the Lord shall, if it be his will, raise him up. Since God did not insert this provisional, if it be thy will, when giving us this gracious command, why should we insert it then? Spiritualizing the Situation When tragedy hits a Christian, the biggest mistake they can make is to spiritualize and reason out the cause for the calamity. Suppose a fine Christian lady experienced a driving accident that left her paralyzed, changing her life dramatically. Spiritualizing the situation would sound something like this. Well, God knows what he's doing, and I'm being made Christ-like, and God is being glorified in my infirmities more than he would be glorified in my physical healing. The same was true of Paul with his thorn in the flesh. We may not fully understand how this is to our benefit, or how God can be glorified in this way, but he is. There are special cases in which God demonstrates his sovereign love through giving patience and strength instead of healing. Sometimes he is healing and perfecting our spiritual lives first. So that's an example of what spiritualizing the situation sounds like. It's unfortunate when bad things happen to good people. But show me in scripture in the New Testament 
where such a line of thinking would be supported by the Bible. It just isn't there. For one thing, Paul's thorn was not sickness and disease, but persecution. When people fail to get healed, they have to come up with some reason to explain their persisting conditions. Oftentimes, the rationale sure sounds religious, but it's not Bible. As a consequence, they are held further captive by religious ideology. Rather, let's side with the truth that God's will is to be healed all the time, every time, and without exception. And when we don't see a manifestation of healing, let's simply admit we missed it somewhere and get back to the Word and ask God for wisdom in what changes we need to make, knowing that neither God nor His Word ever changes. But you know, really, sometimes we just need to be patient. The scriptures say through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Let's give the Word time to manifest and grow and work in our bodies and our situation before jumping to conclusions. We are the ones in need of change, to get in line with biblical principles. The Word works when we work it according to directions. We do ourselves and others a huge injustice when we dismiss God's healing promises for the Thomas kind of faith, when we walk by sight like Thomas instead of by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 We live by faith, not by sight. John 20.24 20, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So let's not limit God. Even people who deny God's promise of healing will turn to him for healing when they get ill. They'll give it a whirl, so to speak. Bible faith does not give God a try. It believes. Others deny that God will heal certain kinds of illnesses. For example, if they have an emotional problem, they don't go to the church for prayer. They go to a mental health clinic or a psychiatrist. If a friend or relative goes insane, they would never call a pastor to pray for that person. They seem to think that God can ease pain or heal a broken family, but mental disorders are too big for him. So they cut themselves off from God's blessings. Here's my favorite. Those precious folks who think God can't cure the common cold. They will testify about what God can do for serious illnesses, and then turn around and say, Well, I guess I better not send my children to school this week. They'll catch the flu from everybody else. Or they may say, I'll probably come down with the cold, like everybody at work. It's that time of the year, you know. They might as well be saying, Come on in, Mr. Devil, slap that old flu on me. And the devil will oblige them and say, You asked for it, so open wide. What is really sad is when they get wiped out by the flu, they will whine to God as to why they are sick, and then they'll say, Okay, God, if you want me to suffer like poor old Job, you give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Meanwhile, the Lord is probably shaking his head, grieved that the healing he had bought and paid for by his blood is going to waste and in vain. If we are the children of God, called to be different, let's start acting and talking like it. Let's not continue saying what the rest of the world is saying, who are in darkness and ignorance. Let's not talk about dying young, getting old, being tired, losing our memory, and getting sick. We don't need to be expecting a heart attack to strike us down, or a tumor to kill us. 
Even if it is in our natural family history, the new family we belong to does not have to have such hereditary sicknesses passed down to us. As a matter of fact, we have inherited from our Heavenly Father, Christ the Healer, strength, mental vitality, and life, and that much more abundantly, according to John 10.10. With that being said, let's align our speaking in line with God's Word and get Bible results in our lives. Let's now briefly talk about the hindrance of pain. Ill people become depressed very easily. They grow weary of suffering daily. They tend to feel defeated by their illness. They fail to look to the Lord who has already conquered their illness. Visit the cancer ward in your local hospital. Talk with some of the patients, and you'll see what I mean. It's not easy to struggle with pain for months or even years without seeing any improvement. After a while, the sufferer wants to give up. In the natural, this is totally understandable. This is where medical science can be a great help concerning healing. Medication can greatly minimize the pain so that the patient can focus on getting into God's Word, obtain healing from the great physician, our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In a case like that, healing can only begin when the sufferer takes off the depression and begins expecting to be healed. The Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 1.8 and chapter 6 verse 12. Only after having a fighting, tenacious spirit through faith in God's word can the enemy be defeated. One cannot surrender to that illness, but must choose every day to get well and never let go of that goal. When a person gives up hope, they are truly in a hopeless situation. That is where other believers in the Lord play a vital role to encourage and support us during tough times so that we don't let go of our faith and hope in the Lord. Psalms 118.17 in the Amplified I shall not die but live, and shall declare the works and recount the illustrious acts of the Lord. Romans 15.4 For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have personally been with Christians who were terminally ill and hear them say those fateful words, I guess it's just the Lord's will for me to die. Yet they were still relatively young, gifted, capable people who could give many more years to the Lord's work. I realize this is easier said than done, but the reality is that they gave up too easily. They surrendered to the pain. They let their illness become the master of their lives. Either pain is our God or God is our God. Either we will allow circumstances of life to become our Lord, or we will allow Jesus to be the Lord over our circumstances. The choice is really ours. God made us to be free moral agents, with the power to choose what we will do with our lives. But it's amazing at the choices most people make. We can choose to believe in God, but most people choose not to because they have not been properly taught. Rather, all they have been given by the professional clergy is a steady diet of human psychology, doubt, and unbelief. It's no wonder their faith is weak when the trials, tests, and temptations of life come. If they were taught correctly in the Word, the response to weakness would be Joel 3.10, Let the weak say, I am strong. And they would say, I am strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, according to Ephesians 6.10. They would boldly declare in the face of all opposition, 
I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, in Philippians 4.13. I like what Isaiah 40.29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Today, folks can choose to be saved from their sins, but most people choose not to. Christians can choose to be healed of their illnesses, but most people choose not to. But you may say that most Christians want to be healed, but just aren't. Consider this, many people in the world acknowledge a historical Jesus, but do not have a personal revelation of him in their heart as Lord and Savior through faith in God's word. The same could be said of countless Christians who mentally acquiesce to a healing Jesus, but do not believe it in their hearts. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus contributed folks to being healed or receiving a miracle in their lives due to their faith. It's by God's grace through our faith that God is born again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And it's the same biblical principles of faith in God's word that releases God's grace and power that is at work in the lives of those who believe. I will cover what it means to believe with the heart later on in this season. This is where a full understanding of the authority of the believer becomes vital in learning how to resist the devil in the name of Jesus and to stand on God's word. We rise up in the power of God and speak to those mountains in our lives and tell them to get out of the way. When it comes to the works of darkness that try to oppress us in this life, they can only do so if we allow them to. We hold the key to unlocking the victory Jesus has already won for us and releasing it into our own lives. Every Christian should be healed, but aren't. As one Bible teacher said, quote, We must add that if it were true that Christ died for our sicknesses, then his atoning work in this respect is a failure. The choicest saints on earth today are the thousands of shut-ins who suffer in patience and sing their sweet songs in the night. Unquote. Dear brothers and sisters, did Christ die to save all sinners? Yes, should be the reply. Then every sinner in this world has a blood-bought right to be saved, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and 2 Peter 3, 9. But are all sinners saved? No, only a very small percentage, according to Matthew seven thirteen. Then according to the writer just quoted, Christ's atoning work in this respect also is a tremendous failure. Why are not all sinners saved? since they have a blood-bought right to be saved, because for whatever reason they fail to meet God's conditions as set forth in John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, John 3, 16, verse 18 and 36, John 5, 24, and Romans 10, 9. It is just the same with bodily healing. Every saint has a blood-bought right to be healed, but thousands do not know that they must exercise the very same appropriating faith in the bruised body of Jesus for their healing as they formerly exercised in his shed blood for the remission of their sins. Faith operates the same whether it's for salvation or healing. We believe the word in our heart and we confess it out of our mouth. So if confession is made unto salvation in God's word, healing is received through confession of God's word in Jesus' name. In Luke 7.50, Jesus said to the poor sinful woman, Your faith has saved you. The word here for has saved in the Greek is the singular word of sozo, I save. In Luke 8.48, Jesus said to the poor woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, Your faith has saved you. The word here for has healed you is the same Greek word, the singular word of sozo, I save. This then is a positive proof 
that the very same faith that saves the soul also will heal the body. Many saints do not understand this because of ignorance or false teaching, and therefore they are not healed. In conclusion, let's look at a story of a person who lost their healing and the spiritual counsel that was given them in response. I felt perfectly well for several days after you prayed for me. Then all the symptoms came back, and I have been in hell ever since. Can you tell me what the difficulty is? Yes, it is very simple. You received your healing through another's faith. The adversary took advantage of your lack of faith and brought back the symptoms, camouflaged the entire thing, and you were filled with fear instead of faith. Instead of rising resolutely and meeting the adversary with the word and commanding his power to be broken in Jesus' name, you yielded. Why did you yield? You may ask, because you had no foundation in your life. You were like the man who had built his house upon the sand. The storm came and destroyed it. The thing for you to do is to get to know the Lord yourself through the word, a personal revelation of God's healing word in our heart. When we know that by his stripes we were healed, and we know it like we know 2 plus 2 is 4, then the adversary will have no power over us. When we know the power and authority of the name of Jesus, and that we have a legal right to use it. When the adversary lays siege to us, we will not be filled with fear. We will simply laugh at him and say, Satan, did you know that you were whipped? Leave my body now in Jesus' name. And he has to leave. The reality is that no one can maintain one's healing, which has come as the result of another's faith, unless their own faith is developed through the word, so they can maintain their own rights in the redemption of Jesus Christ. Realizing that this episode may be a hard pill to swallow, so to speak, Let's face life's disappointments with courage and resolve in our hearts that it's never God's fault. As we learn from the defeats of Israel, as illustrated in 1 Corinthians 10, along with the victories in Hebrews chapter 11, we come to realize that life oftentimes is a mixed bag of outcomes, good and bad. However, let's remember that God and His Word never changes, that He is faithful even when we are faithless, 1 Timothy 2.13. We are the ones who are ever-changing, growing and maturing through the Word of God to conform to the image of Jesus. Let's learn from our mistakes, thank God for the victories, and always triumph in Jesus to the glory of God. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
be blessed, and see you soon.